You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. I've got a question for you. Have you raised a child? If you've raised a child, I want you to just track with me for a moment. Have you ever noticed there's a cadence to their communication skills? You know, when, you first, uh, when a child first learns to talk, it, it, hopefully they say, I, like I always hope they say dad first, but they'll, they'll say one of those terms. They quickly learn this short two-letter word. Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. They, they quickly learn that. And y- you know, when they're old enough, they, they expand their vocabulary that when you ask them to do something or you tell them to do something, they respond with a question. And it's a short three-letter word question. Do you know what it is? Why? And you know, you notice as they grow up that why question never goes away. In fact, when they're young and it's why, sometimes you just say, because I said so, right? Because you know you can't possibly explain why you're telling them not to do something or to do something. They might not be at the cognitive level to be able to connect all the dots. But you also know it is critically important as they mature and grow that you answer the question, why? It's really important. So over the next two weeks, uh, this week and next week, we're going to be answering the question, why? Next week, Pastor Keith is going to be here, and he's going to be answering the question, why do we worship? Worship is more than singing songs, but why do we do this? It's really important. We're commanded to do it, but why do we do it? This morning, I want to answer this question. Why do we gather? Why do we gather? Why do we make this a priority gathering in our week? Because the Bible and and God would say through the writer in Hebrews, he commands us to gather. We're commanded to be gathering together. So you got to ask yourself, though, why do we do it? I mean, at One Church TO, we gather physically at our Agent Court campus at 2885 Kennedy Road. You're here. We gather physically at 40 Fairfax Crescent at our Claire Lee campus, and we gather virtually at One Church TO Live. But why do you do it? Why do you come here? Is it for the music? I mean, we have some excellent musicians here. You know what I love is the fact that I know all the worship leaders. And they're not up here to perform. I know their hearts. I know the humility by which they come to serve this church community. I love that about them. I know them. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of good worship out there. There's a lot of great music. Go to Spotify, go to YouTube. You're going to find a really great set of worship songs. You will find it there. Um, so do you come for the worship? I don't, I, like, there's lots online. Uh, you come for the teaching, don't you? Oh, good. I got nothing in all the other gatherings, so there we go. Now, you know, listen, uh, I th- I've sat under Pastor Keith's uh, teaching for so many years. I think he's a brilliant teacher. We have so many good teachers here. But I want you to know, too, there's a ton of great digital teachers. There's a kind of, ton of content online you can grab. In fact, I would say this. If you're looking for the perfect package, there's probably a perfect digital package just for you. A good communicator, a great worship package. So why do you need to come here? See... It's never been easier to be an Amazon Christian. It's just never been easier. You can get what you want, when you want, how you want it, wherever you want it. You can get it on the go. Think about this. I'm looking back at the younger parents. You don't have to pack the kids up. 
You don't have to get them in the car and drive in. You don't have to brave the elements at certain times of the year. You don't have to lose any sleep. You don't have to be inconvenienced in the least. Why? Because you can get it when you want it, how you want it, wherever you want it, what you want. So why do we gather? Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Jonathan, I'm doing the math here. And why did you start One Church TO Live if gathering is a priority? Well, great question. So glad you asked. And everyone on One Church TO Live, listen in because we're talking right to you. Listen, I, I know this, that we can gather physically. We can come to the same physical location and attend and not be gathering. We can attend. Gathering, at least in the New Testament, implies participating. It implies engagement. So we can acknowledge that for various reasons, some people come to a physical location and they've been wounded or they're hurt and they're going through some things. So they they don't fully participate. They're kind of shy. They, they, They are more reserved. I get that. I totally do. So, you know, but there are, we can come to a physical gathering and not gather. We can come and just attend. And we can virtually come to and attend and consume a gathering, but not participate in the gathering. Uh, here's what I mean, online. A few months ago, I attended our One Church TO Live campus because I was off. And Shelly and I were watching together. And right away, I thought, how do I engage so I'm not just consuming? So I jumped into the chat room and I said, hi. That's all I said in the chat room. But it was kind of like when I walk into this place and someone puts their hand out, I shake it. I engage, I participate in this moment. Then when the worship came and the music was being sung, I sang, I engaged with them. I don't know if they sang all my favorite songs that weekend or not, but it didn't matter because I was gonna engage in this moment in gathering, virtually. And then the announcements came. I don't know who it was, Pastor Matt or someone was up there doing the announcements. I listened up and I pressed the give button and I gave. Why? Because I'm in this gathering. I'm participating with this group of people. And then when it came to the end of the message and Pastor Keith is praying, I didn't need to virtually press the request prayer button because it wasn't something that I felt like I needed. I needed to come to God and pray for my life. So I did that in that gathering. See, friends, it's about engagement. You don't come here for the music. You don't come here for the teaching. You come to connect with God. And the Bible would implore you to not just connect with God, but to connect with each other. This is what a gathering is. This is what it means to gather. Now, we all gather. In the very beginning, God created this man named Adam. And it says this in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. The Hebrew word for alone here means isolated or separate. Now ask yourself, why isn't it good? Why wasn't it good? Adam was in a perfect environment. He had everything he could ever want to eat. He had all kinds of animals around him. I'm sure he had man's best friend, not a cat, a dog. And and I'm sure he had all of that with him. And, And then in the end, God presides and says this, it's not good for him to be alone. Why? Because Adam is made in the image of God. And at the center of who God is, he's a gathering. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You and I have been made in the image of God. We gather. You go anywhere in the world, humans, when they're around each other, they all gather. They gather for protection. They gather to share resources. They gather for procreation. 
They gather to expel loneliness. They gather to find acceptance. But you know this too because it's true of you. We don't just gather to get either. We love to love. We gather to give love. We love to serve. My, my, my grandmother, she was 94 years old and she was still scuffling around her kitchen serving everyone who walked through her house. It was a joy in her to be able to serve the people in her life. You know, that, that, that aspect of giving and getting comes and happens in a gathering. So we gather, and here's the truth about anyone who's a follower of Jesus. When we gather, we become what we are not scattered. We become the church. We become this church, this powerful, caring, healing, loving, ever-expanding gathering of very flawed individuals who are made in the image of a flawless God. Made in the image of a flawless God. This is why, where else do you get this? Honestly, where do you get this? Where weak and strong can be together. Where rich and poor where people of all different nationalities and cultures, young and old, and not just consume a, a concert or a moment, but do life together. I mean, it's miraculous what happens here each weekend. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 kind of outlines, it's going to answer two big questions that I'm going to try to answer today. We won't be long here today, but, but how do we experience the presence of God? Because that's what we hunger for and need. And, and how is it displayed in gatherings? So we're going to talk about that today. Starting at verse 9, Hebrews chapter 10, here's how it reads. So friends, we can now. Now this is a really important word. This means we couldn't before. This means we couldn't do this before. But now, now we can, without hesitation, walk right up to God in the holy place. We couldn't do that before, but now we can walk up to God in the holy place. Now, you've got to understand, to the writers, the readers in Hebrews, they're blown away by this. They're absolutely blown away by this because they'd never been able to do this before now. See, here's what happened with the children of Israel. There was a man named Abraham. He's the patriarch of the nation. God comes to him thousands of years ago and says, listen, your descendants are going to be as vast as the stars in the sky. And I'm going to bless your people so that they can be a blessing. Another portion of scripture says that they were to be the light to the nations. But if you know the story of Israel, you know they didn't do that. You know they made other choices along the way. And instead of being a light, instead of being this ever-inclusive and expanding light where the nations around them wanted to get in on knowing the living God, they became very exclusive. In fact, it looked a lot like this. The word holy means to be separate from, right? That's what it means, to be separate from, different, holy. So they had what they called the holy land. It's a concentric circle. It's an exclusive circle. All nations outside of their nation were not holy. They alone were holy. So they had the holy land, but inside of that, it wasn't just there. They also had a holy city. So of all the cities and towns in the Holy Land, there, were, there was one that was more holy, and that was Jerusalem. And inside Jerusalem was a structure, the Holy Temple. And the temple was exclusive. First of all, anyone who's here couldn't get in there. Any, not everyone here could get in there. Not everyone here could get in there. People who had disabilities couldn't get in there. 
Not because it wasn't accessible. There's lots of stuff around that in scripture you can read. There were lots of barriers to people being able to get into the holy temple. But then in the holy temple was something even more exclusive. There was this holy place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was a big curtain. This big curtain that separated us from God's presence. See, behind that curtain, you couldn't get back there. You couldn't pay your way back there. You could never find your way back there. Only the high priest could go once a year into the Holy of Holies. Only once a year could they go there on behalf of the people. We had a barrier. Friends, we couldn't handle the presence of God either because we had this barrier called sin or impurity or unholiness, and every one of us were affected by that. So we couldn't get to the presence of God, but we craved to be there because we needed it. But we couldn't get there. We couldn't get behind the curtain. There was no possible way. When the prophet Isaiah was lifted up and he's in the presence of God, he's completely undone by the holiness of God. He sits there and he goes, he says this in the old classic English language, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm not worthy. And he tries to recoil from the presence of God because he can see how vile he really is. But as much as we can't handle it, we want it. But we couldn't get back there. I'd like you to say two words after me, if you would. But Jesus. Would you say that with me? But Jesus. Jesus opened the way. Jesus tore this curtain in two, and he opened the way that we could get into the presence of God together. All of a sudden, we were able to go into God's presence. And friends, you need this You want this more than you even know. It's in the presence of God that you and I are transformed and changed. We are changed in God's presence. Friends, your greatest need is not healing from God. Your, Your greatest need is not provision from God. It's not him giving you something you want or need. Your greatest need is holiness before God. That is our greatest, deepest need. Friends, I'm an impatient person. I can be such a selfish person. I can be a hard person. But in the presence of God, in the presence of his love, I melt into mercy. I can be such, such an such a angry person, but in the presence of God, his peace soothes my soul and heart. It is his presence that transforms us and changes us. But none of us could get back here. None of us could get close to what we needed to change and transform us. None of us were able to earn our way back there, claw our way back there. It was exclusive. But Jesus. But Jesus. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. This is what happens. We can go there now Can you say this? Without hesitation. Now, that's amazing. You know, when I think of that, I think of like a six-year-old boy. Like a, you know, you know, six-year-old boys just blurt things out. You know, I'm thinking of a a six-year-old boy that wants a cookie from his mom. He's not thinking of how he can dress appropriately so that his mom will entertain his request. He's not forming words like, Mothereth, thou art the great provider of thy cookieth. Could thou please us, giveth it to meeth. 
No, he's not doing that. What does a six-year-old boy do? He runs into the kitchen and says, can I have a cookie? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, because we now can go to God, into the holy place, now we can go and we can blurt. We can get in without hesitation, without reserve. We can know the presence of God. I mean, this is incredibly powerful and incredibly life-changing. But the question I have is, how is it possible? I know me. I know what lurks in my heart. I know the impurities, the unholiness. How do I deserve to go back there? Well, Hebrews tells us, says this, Jesus has cleared the way. I would love you to indulge me just for a minute, if you would. Would you take your pointer finger out and point to the person next to you and say, you didn't do it. You didn't clear the way. And then if you would, point it at yourself and say, I didn't do it. See, not all of my good works, not all of my great behavior and good decisions and my parents are proud of me or this, none of that was enough to get me back there. Now, take two pointer fingers out and point at me and say, he sure didn't do it. Not a priest, not a clergy, not a pastor was able to clear the way. Jesus did all the heavy lifting, friends. He cleared the way that by his blood of his sacrifice, acting as our high priest before God. This is Easter. This is Easter. That Jesus removed the obstacle. He cleared the way that by his sacrifice, he paid for what we should have paid for. And now we get to go to the holy place. We get to have an audience with the living, awesome God of the universe. I mean, it's simply amazing. He goes on to say this. This gets even more exciting. He says, the curtain into God's presence is his body. And I love this. You can hear the enthusiasm. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and outside. Inside and outside. I, I, I love this because what he's saying is there was a barrier, there was an obstacle, but it was swept away in a sea of crimson. And now we can go without hesitation and you can feel the enthusiasm of the author when he says, so let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get back there. Let's get into the life-changing presence of God that transforms us, not the way we look. It transforms us right from the inside out. It's powerful. We need it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an all-access pass. You have an all-access pass to the tangible presence of the living God because you're a follower of Jesus. You can walk right up to God. Oh, but, but I know what I've done. You can walk right up to God. Yeah, but you don't understand. You can walk right up to God. He listens. He hears. He now welcomes you into the holy place, not because of what you've done, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done for you. Man, I mean, if I was in a church that was excited about this, somebody would get excited. <laughs> you know what's interesting too is though, so here's the last part of it, and this is where the rubber hits the road. Road, rolled. I don't know what a rolled is, but I know what a road is. <laughs> I, this is where it hits the road, and it's simply this. I'm going to show you how in Hebrews it says that when we gather, we experience the tangible presence of God in a way that's different than we are alone. 
When we're alone, we don't experience it the same way. We can experience God's presence, but never the same as when we are in community and when we gather. That's why God commands us to gather. That's why he does, because of this. So let, let, let me read a little bit more. Let's read it. He says, so let's keep a firm grip. I like that. Firm grip on the promises that keep us. You'll notice all of his language here is community language. It's not you, an individual. It's us that keeps all of us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and in helping out and not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Okay, so here we go. How do we access the presence of God? How do we do that? Well, the key was found in verse 25 where he says, no, uh, says not avoiding worshiping together. Now, worshiping, that word worshiping isn't translated singing. It doesn't mean singing at all. What it means here is you can see it's a Greek word. I, I practice all week to pronounce this, but I know there are Greek people that attend this church and I would butcher it, so I'm not going to bother. But the word worshiping here in the, in the Hebrew actually means synagogue. And that's a Hebrew term. Some of you are familiar with that term. In the English, it means congregation. Congregation. So in other words, do not stop congregating together. Do not stop gathering together. And there's a reason why he's saying this. It's really important you understand, though, what a congregation is. Congregation is not just a collection of people like it is today. Some people see a congregation a little bit like this box of marbles. See these box of marbles I have here? You can... It's a collection of individuals that gather in a room like this to hear a speaker or hear a songs or participate in something here, but they're not connected. They're individuals that are experiencing something together, but they're not connected. The Bible's understanding of a congregation is that's, not, that's a collection of people. That is not a congregation. A congregation is better seen like this. A congregation is all of these unique individuals that come together, but they're organically connected. That's why the goal of every gathering is not just to connect God to your deepest need. Your goal should be as when we gather, I want to connect with a living God and with each other. We need community. We need this. It's more than about attending. It's about experiencing the presence of God. And Hebrews shows us here that we experience it often from each other. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says this, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. Each other. We feel the presence of God as we worship together. We sing songs together. We hear the presence of God when we are working on each other. And it's very clear in the scripture here. Now, that means if you're coming to a gathering, and I realize there are many people that maybe have been wounded in the past. They have experienced some things that haven't been positive, And that can make you shy in engaging in community. And I'll pray for you before we're done in this gathering. Because I understand that. But it is my hope that as you learn to trust us more as a community, you'll take a step towards us. A step towards becoming a part 
of the gathering, the congregation. Because if you think individual spirituality will change your life, it won't. The great revivalist John Wesley said this, the Bible knows nothing about solitary religion. Nothing. So how do we experience and how do we see God's presence displayed? How is it displayed? Well, there are three words in that passage we just read that helps us to see. And friends, this is so practical, it's going to bother you. Let me warn you up front. I'm about to say some things that are probably going to bother you. Because we like to think of the presence of God as some sort of overwhelming thing, and it can be. But often, the presence of God is displayed most powerfully and transformatively as we do life together as a gathering and a congregation. There are three words that, he, that was mentioned by the writer of Hebrews. I want to take a look at them. The first way we see God's presence displayed in gatherings is through by spurring each other on. How many like that? You're about to not like that. Because spurring in the Greek actually means to irritate each other. Some people are thinking like, I know someone who has that spiritual gift. <laughs> and then they do it every week I gather here. That's not what it means. It means this. It's talking about confronting one another. Actually, it gets a little more poignant, a little awkward, because it actually means to sharply disagree or sharply confront. And we're told by the writer of Hebrews, if you want to experience the transformative power of Jesus, you need someone in your life who's willing to confront, who's willing to address some of your blind spots who's willing to see you, and and the question simply is, do you have that type of person in your life? Here's the problem, especially in our culture right now. I'm I'm just firing from the hip right now, okay? Especially in our culture right now, if you are too touchy, you'll never have the gift of someone who can spur you. You'll never have the gift. If every time somebody confronts you about something, maybe a choice you've made that might be leading to something that's not good or positive, If you get touchy every time, people stop being the gift of a spurrer in your life. But every one of us needs spurring. Now, I've been married 25 years to a woman named Shelly. And I have a few things to get off my chest. (laughs) Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, The wounds of a friend are to be trusted. And I want you to know, and I want sympathy too. She has wounded me many times. Many times. I remember, and she is in the room, and I don't care. I'm having my moment right now. I remember she wounded me about the type of father I was being. I remember, I remember very clearly the conversation in the living room in Scarborough here when we were renting a place here, and she turned to me and she said, Jonathan, you love those boys, but you're never here. And I was working really hard. And to be honest with you, I was probably working really hard because being at work was easier than being at home with two toddlers. I remember when those boys were growing up a little older. And I remember when she confronted me about my fathering. Wounded me. Wounded me. I'm a good dad. She said, she said Jonathan, you love those boys, but sometimes you're really too hard on them. Because you want them to, to excel in life. You want good for them. But sometimes you're just on them all the time. She goes, it's not good for them. How dare she? 
Oh, it gets worse, friends. Let, 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 come, keep, keep, keep that sympathy coming. I remember when she wounded me about the type of husband I was. Yeah, the type of husband I was. About my selfishness. To be honest with you, I can look back and I wanted peace more than I wanted a good marriage. I wanted a peaceful home more than I wanted a great marriage. I know this. Sometimes you got to wound each other to have a great marriage. Sometimes you have to have some real adult conversations that hurt and are awkward and they're not fun, but they're key to having a great marriage. And I was just way too touchy, to be honest with you. And the more she came at me, the more I hid. The more I had other things to do. The more I began to just get quiet. And I could be, I'm not running away from her. I'm a man, I'm not scared. I just shut down, shut down. Don't want to have this conversation maybe in 20 years. And you know, the problem was, I wanted a great marriage with none of the work. I remember when she wounded me about the type of leader I was. Man, she was on me. This is over the course of a long time. I remember when she said to me, Jonathan, people's criticisms will always be there. And they wound you too deeply. And she goes, it's no fun. Maybe you need to grow up. Because people will always be criticizing. Get over it. Now, I'll tell you, she wounded me a lot. And it scares me to think the type of man I would be had she not. I am so thankful for the wounds of a friend. They can be trusted. Do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have someone that you've let in that can wound you, can hurt you? Do you have that type of community that you could go to them and say, listen, I know the Bible says you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage, but i got to be honest with you, I want to. Do you have that type of friends in your life that you can say, I know the Bible says that I shouldn't consume all the money I make on myself, but I really want to. Or do you have the type of friend you can go to and say, listen, I know the Bible says I should forgive, but I hold grudges. Do you have the type of friends and community where you can say, listen, The next time you see me doing this, don't give me what I want. Give me what I need. Give me what I need. You can either have short-term woundedness and hurt and long-term gain, or you can live that life, and in the end, it catches up with you every time. So can you see how the presence of God comes in the middle of spurring? In the middle, you, the presence of God brings transformation. Sometimes it comes by a, via somebody else, but also the Holy Spirit. Something I might say today might bother you, and it might be a good thing, a very good thing. It might be the Holy Spirit leading you to a place of conviction that will lead to a place of change. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants the best for you. And when you have a trusted community that wants the best for you, you are a rich, rich person. Friends, that's the type of community we got to be for each other. We got your back. We're, we're pulling for you. We're with you. We, we want to see you succeed in life. And sometimes that means we are going to experience a little bit of spurring. But thank God it doesn't stop at spurring. In Hebrews, it talks about encouraging. I love that. 
Actually, the Greek word there means to come alongside and support. The idea is simply this encouraging. It's not flattery. It's not going around flattering someone. It's not, none of that. Encouraging is coming in the, in the middle of their need and saying, I got your back. I'm with you. You are not alone. I support you. That is encouragement. Every human being, we need spades of encouragement. I love it. Pastor Ray Ortland said this. I love this quote. I've never met anyone too encouraged. Never once. Friends, you cannot spoil your children with encouragement. You cannot spoil your spouse with encouragement. You cannot spoil your parents with encouragement. You cannot spoil your friends with encouragement. Without it, we die. We need it. So when we gather together, we're not just confronting, spurring, we're supporting, encouraging. And you know, friends, here's the truth about both of those realities of spurring and encouraging. You in this room and those online, you lean one way or the other. Some of you are extremely gifted at spurring. And you know, but I know that some people, you're thinking of somebody who doesn't mind saying what they say when they, I don't mean that. I mean someone who's spurring, who loves you enough and they're concerned enough, they kind of get in your face. Said, hey, everything okay? Why are you still with him? Why are you still with her? And you're going to be tempted to push that spurrer away. But some of you lean and you're good spurrers. <laughs> you're gifted at spurring. If you're gifted at spurring and that's your natural inclination, can I give you some advice? Think encouraging before spurring. Because you're always going to spur. It's natural to who you are. But I know this. When I've been spurred by a friend, it goes down so much better when they've also been an encourager. When they've come alongside and supported me and encouraged me, I'm open, much more open to the wounds of the friend. Now, if you lean on the encouragement side, and you just love people, and you love encouraging people, think spurring, not encouraging. Because you will naturally encourage. You can't stop yourself. You're always going to be encouraging. You can't stop yourself. So think about spurring because if you really love people, you tell them what they need, not what they want. You want the very best for someone. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, you want to experience the presence of God in a tangible way that changes people? Spur on each other. Hurt each other. Remember, if you're a good spurrer, delivery trumps message. How you say something is more important than what you say, right? All the encouragers in the room are going, yes, 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 yes. You spur one another on, but you also encourage one another. We're almost done. He gives one more word here, and this word is almost embarrassing. I almost don't want to put it up there because it seems so trivial, so practical, so removed from what we think of the aura of the presence of God, but it's revealed by the writer in Hebrews as one of the tangible ways we experience God's presence when we gather is by helping. Helping. Helping? It's seeing people who are hurting, taxed, or in need and coming alongside them to help them. I was thinking about this all week. I was thinking about when we moved back from Montreal to Toronto, we bought a house, a really small house just here in Scarborough, and it was in need of a lot of work. And I, I, I went ahead and just pulled the kitchen out. But, you know, as you've heard from the past with me, I don't have much talent, so then I'm looking at a, 
open blank space, and I have no stove now. My family's living there too, by the way. No stove, no fridge, no sink in the kitchen, nothing. And then, you know, so you explain that to Shelly, uh, like, hey, good news. Good news is I've got a blank slate. Bad news is I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so, you know, I hired someone, I had some help, but you know what I remember from that time? Because it was months, it was months. I remember some people in this gathering, in this church, who were extremely busy people. Young families at home, all kinds of stuff. Lots of reasons not to even notice. And they would drop off a meal here and there for my family. I remember one young daddy, has two small little kids, driving by our place, saw the lights on and me painting inside. I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. Went home, got his brush, came over, started brushing. You know, what helping, being helping, what it means here is let nothing be beneath you. It wasn't beneath them to serve in that way, to help out. I I was thinking of, I've shared this with this church community years ago, but I remember as a young pastor on staff here looking out the window of my office and watching our then lead pastor, Keith Smith, picking up garbage all over the parking lot. You know, I wrote this little axiom when I saw him do this, and I, I didn't want to forget it. If you're too big to pick up the garbage, you're too small to lead. If it's beneath you to rock a baby in the nursery, check yourself. If it's beneath you to help park some cars or beneath you to help serve on our security team or something, if it's beneath you, really check your heart, friends. See, why is helping there talking about getting into the tangible presence of the living God? Because helping requires humility. Humility is the pathway into God's presence. God opposes the proud, and he welcomes the humble. Friends, let nothing, when you're in community and we're gathering, don't let things be beneath you. But I'm an important person. Get over yourself. Let's get in line. Let's serve one another in love, encouraging, spurring on each other. And the last thing that that word helping means, it's not just practically speaking in our gathering, but it's also towards the marginalized in our culture. Let me just speak to this for a minute. This is more than just the poor. Thank God our church is involved in that. But every one of you, and just listen to me before you say no, every one of us has been conditioned through our upbringing to look down on someone. We could look down on people that are not educated well. We could look down on people who are stuck in systemic poverty and we think, why don't you get a job? I I pulled myself up. We could, this is where racism gets its roots. We start looking down on other cultures that we've heard all these generalizations about. And sometimes it was spoken, sometimes it was just inferred in our homes, but it kind of got ingrained in us. We begin to, to look down on people in our culture and society, and every one of us does it. We can look down on people that are of a different sexual orientation, somehow thinking we're better than that. You know, friends, here's how I read it. If I've been able to get back here and I did nothing to deserve it and I didn't earn it, how dare I look down on any one of God's creation? It doesn't mean I agree with everyone. It doesn't mean I agree with what everyone's lifestyle or choices are or anything like that. 
But my response should be compassion. Why? Because I've been in the holy place. It's melted my hard heart. I can't be that way anymore. Because I know I got what I didn't deserve. I got access to the holy place. And I can go there without hesitation. So friends, here's the reality of gathering in Toronto. Every one of you is busy. Have you ever met a non-busy Torontonian? They're an endangered species, for sure. You're busy. You have work demands on your life. You have domestic duties. I gotta change my winter tires still. I got a lot of stuff to do around the house. Uh, you have social activities. If you have young children, you have children's activities coming out all over the place. You've got many demands on your life. We all do. And to be honest with you, we live in a culture that craves comfort too. It's easy to skip gatherings. But see, it's not, this passage is not about being in perfect attendance. That's legalistic. There's reasons why you, get, you miss a gathering or two. There's reasons why. It's not about that. It's about prioritizing the gathering of those who are the followers of Jesus. Why? Because if you don't prioritize it, you're stepping on your own air hose. All of a sudden, when you're in the presence of God, you'll be a better employee. You'll be better at work. You will be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better mom. You'll be a better dad. You'll be a better son, a better daughter. You'll be a better friend. The presence of God melts away so much of the guck in our lives and transforms us. We need it. We crave it. We have to have it. So friends, I, I want to encourage you to take a next step. For some of you, as I mentioned earlier, maybe your next step is going to the Next Steps Lounge and, and going to register to be an Alpha. To be in a gathering of people where you can ask any question and you can do life together and they can know you and you're known and you can begin to see the presence of God as it changes and transforms you. For others of us, it might be going there to join a community group. We might say our next step is to take that step into a community group so that maybe more people know us and we're able to love and give and serve others more intimately. Whatever it looks like, here's my prayer for you. That when you come into these gatherings, you'd lean in. Man, you'd sing like it's not just you, it's us. That you would begin to look around and notice the people around you. We might even, dare I say, bear one another's burdens. Look out for each other. Notice when someone's missing. And not tell the pastor, you call them. You go looking for them. You go find them. Why? Because I've missed you in our gathering. I've missed you as a part of our congregation. We're connected now. We're friends. Better than that, we're family. Let's pray. I want to invite everyone who, maybe you, you know and love being in gatherings and you understand some of what I'm talking about today. I'd like you to join me in praying for those who've been wounded in gatherings. Wounded by people, whether it was a family of origin or others. And they just need healing because trusting people to let them encourage them, let alone spur them, seems the furthest thing from their mind. And God, maybe a message like this scares them a little bit. 
God, I know when you command something, you mean it for our good. And when you said, I, I want you to be congregating, I want you to be gathering, you intend it for good. But our, we admit freely, our humanity gets in the way all the time. We are imperfect people in this gathering. And we need the presence of a perfect God. So Father, we pray for our friends among us online or in this room who maybe just been wounded along the way. They're hurt. They're in pain. The idea of trusting someone is the furthest desire from their heart. They want you, God, and if they got to put up with the church along the way, they'll do that, but they want you. But God, you want something more for them. You want to provide for them a loving, caring, healing community. So God, we pray together that you would heal them. You'd backfill those areas of their lives that maybe have seen great holes or deficits because of the hurt and harm they've received along the way. And then I pr- let's turn our prayers on us as a community. God, it's big shoes to step in to claim to be a healing, caring, and loving community because we know we fall short, Jesus. But would you help us? Would you help us to be just that? Would you give us a vision for what it means to be in your presence? May it change our heart and attitudes that compassion would flow from us to every other human being, God. Would would you give us compassion and our compassion would lead us to spur one another on, God. To look out for our younger brothers and sisters along the way. To help them from making mistakes maybe we've made. Would you give us a vision to encourage one another? Even today, God. Lord, may there be people in this room who've noticed others and they would go out of their way to encourage them, to build them up, to let them know we're for them. We love you. We support you. And God, help us to be practical, to know what it means to roll up our sleeves and help the people around us. And I love this church because I see it so often, people helping people find jobs, people helping people with their children, people helping people through difficult times, People coming alongside people when they're sick. People helping people as they, as they age. People helping people when they have uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and they're struggling with things, God. I love this church community. I love the generosity of it. But God, would you awaken all of our hearts to that? What could we be like, God? What could we be like? This could change this city. This could certainly change our lives. So God, I pray when we gather that our gatherings would be charged with your presence. God, it would be evident to everyone who gathers virtually or physically that the spirit of the living God is here and near. God, may you just fill this room, fill the online uh, area and our Clearly campus with the presence of God. We want you. We want you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.